0: Listening to another episode of Grace Matters Conversations Establishing Believers in the Truth. Today's episode captures the audio from our first virtual panel discussion. Months ago, we had planned to do Technology and the Family as a panel discussion at the church facility. We had no idea that there would be such a great irony in hosting this panel virtually via Zoom while we were quarantined. We had a great turnout and a great discussion. So without further ado, here's that panel.
1: Okay. We're recording and, uh, friends, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how formal to be Uh, welcome tonight to grace, grace matters, where we, uh, endeavor to hold conversations, establishing believers in the truth. Tonight, uh, our conversation with the panelists, which are members of our own grace family, uh, is a great follow up to our last Grace Matters in January, in which we talked about mental health. And one of the items that came up in the conversation is one of the things that alters or affects our mental health, and especially with boys and young men, and that is technology, especially the digital technology that we're using tonight. And this is a first time for us um, meeting online as a panel and guests. And um, So if if there are any bumps in the roads, if we apologize, but be patient with us, you'll see in the chat box um, an opportunity for you to ask questions. I'll be sending those questions to our panelists at the appropriate time, either during their session or near the end. You don't have to worry about microphones. Um, Those are muted for you. And I recommend that you put uh, the view on speaker view. So the one who is talking will be uh, the main picture on your screen. Uh, why don't I introduce the topic with um, a verse that actually starts in the beginning, not quite Genesis 1-1, but very shortly thereafter, God tells us in Genesis 1:26 that God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every cre- creeping thing that creeps on the earth that image of dominion um, has a lot in it to unpack. And certainly it is a a broad subject. And tonight is just an aspect of that um, subject, talking about technology and how we as believers, as saints, as parents or grandparents and youth can be biblically based in our thoughts and understandings and actions dealing with technology. So before David introduces our panelists and discussion, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our Savior, for the opportunity to use this um, just a partial demonstration of bringing uh, the earth, uh, subduing it and having dominion over things and using technology in a way that we pray honors you and edifies one another Uh, Guide us in our conversation may it be uplifting to all those who hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh,
0: So I want to introduce the folks who are serving on our panel. Uh, My name is David Calvert, uh, but I want to introduce Neil as he disappears. Uh, Neil is an elder at Grace Community Church. He's our Zoom guru for tonight, and he's also the director for Grace Matters. Uh, He's on staff with Transworld Radio as a systems administrator, so he's working with technology to send the gospel to the ends of the earth, and I'm sure he would love to tell you more about that. Uh, Neil is married to Myra, and their four kids have undoubtedly kept them busy during this quarantine. Uh, My name is David Calvert. I'm pastor for Creative Arts at Grace Community Church, and I utilize technology of various kinds all week, and in this quarantine, I've used it all day. Uh, I have a Master of Arts in Christian Education and a PhD in Theology and Worship, And some of my research was in uh, the realms of technology and culture. I've been on staff at Grace for 14 years, um, and my wife, Sarah, is keeping our four kids mostly quiet so that this meeting can happen. Uh, Jeff Kelly received his master's degree in pastoral theology in 2001 and then over the next 14 years planted two churches, one in New York State and one in Asheville. Prior to coming to Grace, he was an elder, at redeemer Community Church in Fuquay. And now Jeff Kelly is our pastor of uh, assimilation and student ministry. He's married to Leanna, and they have four kids who are going to barge in at some moment and interrupt. That's That's the plan. And lastly, but not least, is Sarah Painter. She is wife to Jason and mother to five kids, ages 10 to 20. And as a director of local Classical Conversations homeschool group, She's had the opportunity to speak with hundreds of parents over the last nine years about topics concerning students, including technology. We're grateful for this panel and the the wealth of wisdom that is at Grace Community Church. And so we hope to share some of that uh, anecdotally as we share stories and then also thinking a little bit uh, more deeply and widely as well. So I'm going to take a stab at the philosophy of technology, and the family. And so one way to think about the way that our three panelists will kind of address things is that I'm going to take the view from the clouds. Uh, Philosophy tends to kind of float around up there. Uh, And then Jeff will take a stab at the theology of technology in the family, which I think undergirds us, or at least it should be our foundation. And then Sarah will lead us to where the rubber meets the road, uh, right in the middle, and giving application to the things that Jeff and I talk about and her perspective as a parent of such a wide range and also working with parents of so many different kinds. So regarding philosophy and technology in the family, first I'm going to kind of flip it uh, because the family is primary for the flourishing of humanity. Uh, There is A clear indication of that. And I'm so glad Neil started in Genesis because I was going to do that as well. From Genesis one, we are told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. That's called the creation mandate. So be fruitful and multiply that has to do with family. Family is the way that happens. And subdue and have dominion over the earth. One of the ways that we do that is with technology, Uh, using our creative abilities given to us by the creator. We're to fulfill this creation mandate of being fruitful via family, having dominion in large part through technology. So these things are very, even though they're philosophical and in the clouds, they're rooted deeply in what it means to be human and for humans to flourish. So as we use the terms over the course of this evening, that was one of our goals, was to define the terms as we use them. So when we use the term family, we're thinking about biblical family. Uh, When we use the term technology, I'll get to that in a second. But biblical family, uh, in one sense, is those who do the will of the Father. That's what Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers but those who do the will of my Father. And so there is a sense in which Understanding family biblically, we think about the church. We think about our church family, who we miss being together with during this time. But there's also a sense in which we see from the very beginning, as God raised up Adam and Eve and their kids, there was a family context um, that is begun at the beginning of creation. And so that nuclear family, if you will, of parents and children or immediate family, which would include other, you know, blood related family members. Uh, There's also a sense in which forged families are uh, in view when we talk about biblical family. Because again, think about what Jesus says, who is it that does the will of whoever that does the will of my father. Those people are not necessarily blood related or in, in any way ethnically related. And yet we see that there is no slave or free or Jew or Greek in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters. So that's what we mean when we say family, when we think about family, we're definitely thinking about our immediate homes and places where we live, but we're also thinking about uh, all those nuanced ways of looking at the family philosophically and biblically. I do want to give a shout out to a resource that was very meaningful to me as I prepared for this uh, called the Techwise family by Andy Crouch. Uh, We'll be sharing some resources later that include um, the, uh, links to some videos where he gives like an overview of this book, uh, some podcasts that he's participated in and other people that we trust. And uh, then we'll have, of course, some more grace matters conversations that'll be on the podcast after this uh, and which we'll continue to flesh these ideas out. But the tech wise family by Andy Crouch was very valuable resource for me uh, in shaping how I was thinking about some things. And it gave me some really practical challenges that we'll probably talk about later. Um, in that book, Barna research showed that family is the first answer for what forms your identity. When when students were asked, how do you form identity? What are the main factors? Family was the first answer, but not for everyone. And often with many competing factors. But even still, it is the most prominent answer. And that's why it's so important for our families to be healthy and healthy rooted in the gospel. So when we say family, that's what we're thinking. Here's what we mean by technology. Technology, and the way that we're going to use it, is tools that make work better or more efficient. Now that's a very intentionally broad definition of technology. And in that sense, technology includes everything from a fork to this MacBook that I'm recording on. Anything that's been designed and created for use by persons to accomplish a task. That's a kind of technology. And we may push on that a little bit as we go, but I want to keep it broad because then we can apply it most broadly. Obviously, when we are all thinking about the word technology and when we hear it, whatever comes to your mind first is probably more along the lines of an iPad, a screen, a robot vacuum, you know, those kinds of things, you know, the time machine that we still don't have and the jetpacks that we still don't have in 2020. Those things may come to your mind when you think about technology, but I want to broaden it a little bit to any tools that we would use to make work better or more efficient is the proper use of technology. There are three pairs of questions that I want to propose that I think are very helpful for understanding why we would use a piece of technology. So these are three philosophical questions to ask anytime you want to use a new piece of technology or introduce it into your home. These three questions, three pairs of questions are this first, what is this doing for us? And what is this doing to us? What is this doing for us? What is this doing to us? That question should and could be asked of any piece of technology that we bring into our home. So if you're going to bring in a new computer, what does this do for us as a family? And then what does this do to us as a family? If you're looking to buy a new car, same questions can apply in helping us parse out the wisdom of that given piece of technology. Anytime that you are using something, it may be doing something for you, but it is always also doing something to you. Another resource that we are going to recommend and uh, have to share later is 12 Ways Your iPhone is Changing You by Tony Rinkey. If you have held a smartphone for more than five minutes, your posture has changed and your Interaction with that device uh, shapes the way you think about what screens are for. So, whereas my MacBook is not a touch screen, my iPad is. And so, I use my iPad for certain things, but it's doing something to me. It creates in me the expectation that if I touch it, it will respond. And so, when I then sit down on my MacBook to have this conversation with you, I might absentmindedly reach for the screen and touch it. I've had this Pavlovian response because the technology is doing something to me, even as it's doing something for me. The next pair of questions to ask philosophically about technology is what is gained and what is lost? So what is gained and what is lost? With the ability to have this panel on Zoom, what is gained? The fact that anybody can dial in from anywhere and if you turn your video off you can be in your sweats and no one's gonna care if you turn your audio off you can hold your toddler like I might have had to do so it's definitely gaining something but what is lost I think all of us can answer that question pretty easily we've lost the ability to read the room as it were we've lost the uh, interaction of seeing faces of physical presence. So with every piece of technology that we use, something is gained and something is lost. So those are important philosophical questions to ask. The last pair of questions to ask is, why this and not that? Why this and not that? That question is kind of wrapped up in the previous questions as well. But sometimes it can help make the final decision about whether or not to use something. Why a Samsung phone and not an iPhone? That may seem like a silly question. Maybe you answer it in terms of one is cheaper than the other, but as Sarah actually indicates in one of her documents we'll share later, there's other reasons why you would maybe choose this over that. But we have to ask that question of if we're going to introduce a piece of technology into our home or into our lives, Why this and not that? So with those three pairs of questions, hopefully helping frame up in your mind, this discussion we will move towards the theology behind technology and the family, because the way we answer those questions is informed by almost completely, at least mostly by our theology. What we believe about God, what we believe about what human flourishing is, and how we believe the family functions the way God created it, those beliefs will inform how we answer those questions about the philosophy of technology. So even though philosophy is kind of an overarching thing that is affecting us and how we think about technology, our theology is undergirding us. And so now I'll hand off to Jeff so that he can lead us into thinking about uh, technology and the family theologically.
2: All right. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. Um, In the next few minutes, I'd like to uh, lay the theological groundwork to help us understand the nature of our hearts. All right. So specifically, I want to show how in spite of God's best work in us in salvation We're still not yet perfected. This has nothing to do with the quality of Jesus' work on the cross, um, but it speaks more to the nature of his work. And so um, in spite of all that he did for us, it still demands in us a vigilant posture in regard to um, aspects of life. So pushing in on that, um, how essential is it for us as parents? um, uh, it, it, It is essential for us as parents to understand that while there's uh, evil in the world, there is uh, a more powerfully corrupt heart that's inside uh, your child that's bent on seeking pleasure. And so um, we want to look at scripture in terms of this. So for the next uh, 10 to 13 minutes, I want to go through this. And then, um, uh, you know, if there's questions at the end, we can go through it. But I want to I ask a few questions here, or at least give you um, a few statements that parents often say about their children that, uh, we have to say, does not measure up against scripture? Uh, the first one is, um, I can trust my child. I know he wouldn't do that. Right. Or number two, I don't want to force my beliefs on them. I want my children to find their own way. Or thirdly, I don't want to be overbearing to my children and set too many rules and regulations that would just push them away further. So now let's look at the um, a theological framework of this, and then we'll look at those questions or those statements again at the end. Jeremiah 17, says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah's writing in the context of Israel, or Judah's sin. In verse 1 of chapter 17, it says this, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. Why does Jeremiah use terminology such as iron and diamond? Because it points to the permanence of sin, which cannot be erased. I need to use that when I'm talking to my son, Judah. (laughs) I need to use that passage. That's a good one. It's that context in which Jeremiah makes this incredible statement that says, you know, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? So when the Old Testament uses the word heart, he's not they're, they're not really oftentimes and many times not talking about the physical heart. They're talking about the seed of man's thinking and action. They're also talking about the seed of emotions. So it's in that backdrop to the condition of our thoughts and emotions that at best they are deceitful and desperately sick. So the serious nature is found um, in Jeremiah when he says in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. So why does the Lord search the heart? Why does he test the mind? To give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. So this is written in the context of judgment. So we understand the Bible to teach that the condition of all men is rooted in the fallen nature or a bent toward sin. Now, the good news is that God spoke to Israel through Ezekiel, and Ezekiel had these words to say, Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This new heart or heart of flesh is given to us as salvation and is a heart that now can respond to the Holy Spirit, which is an awesome thing. That's the good news. So when we look at this, the bad news is, though, if there is bad news, um, is that the heart is yet not perfected. And that's the reality. Our hearts can still be influenced by sin, and that deceitful nature of our flesh is still very active. So we're going to talk about this in terms of the nature of the flesh. All right, so what is our fleshly heart? What, is, uh, what are we made up of? Okay, we are not yet perfected. We still have remnants of this deceitful heart in us. And so let's look at three things, the components of the flesh, the character of the flesh, and the activity of the flesh. All right, so I'm going to go quick. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture here, but follow my thinking. All right, write down these references, go back, read them, understand them better on your own. I'm just going to fly through this real quickly. All right. So I only got a few minutes. What are the components of the flesh? All right. Ephesians chapter two characterizes the man uh, prior to salvation. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So how do we walk now? In verse three, I'm skipping down to verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, That word body is the same Greek word as the word flesh. And the mind. So we see three different things here. We see desires, we see passions, and we see the mind. All right, characterized with the flesh. So passions would be feelings or emotions. Desires would be a will, a volitional will. And, of course, the mind. Uh, Romans 8 Verses six and seven says this for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So to set the mind on the flesh is death. We can still have that fleshly mind. Now pointing to the truth that the flesh can control the mind, therefore it has a mind. All right. So the flesh, I'm pointing to the Mm -hmm. point that the components of the flesh so that you'll understand the flesh is not a passive inclination. It's not a drift like a tumbleweed that is swayed by the wind. Instead, the flesh is actively pursuing control. So it's more like a forest fire that is fueled by by new wood. And so what we're looking at in Scripture is the constituents of personhood. The flesh is something like the nature or a nature in me. It knows things. It knows everything I know. knows how much money I have, how much vacation I have, how much Bible I know. It knows what I know, and it has feelings about those things, and it has a knowledge about those, and it has passion and it directs its wishes. So this all points to an agenda within us. So the components of the flesh are feeling a will and a mind. What's the character of the flesh? Well, the character of the flesh is given to us in Romans chapter seven and Romans chapter eight, so we can find out what's the character of the flesh. Romans 7:18 says this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now, Paul's speaking from a post-salvation experience. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but the ability to carry it out, but not the ability to carry it out. So Paul says very emphatically, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Now, that's not the whole part of Paul. Now that he's redeemed, he can still respond to the Holy Spirit. But in his fleshly part, he can Still feel that sway. Uh, Not only that, but in chapter 8, verse 7, it says this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So here we have um, this idea that it doesn't submit to God's law. Um, It's hostile to God, and the flesh is no good. So think about this, there's a part of you that cannot be redeemed, cannot be cured, cannot be cleaned up. It will never be influenced in a good way. It'll never urge you to do the right thing. You say, how can this be? Why do clouds move in, in, shape, uh, clouds move in the sky and they, they take new shape in the sky? Why does sand shift and blow? Why does water run in various places? It's because of its nature. It's, that's the nature of those things. And so this is the nature of flesh. And so this is helpful to understand in terms of our sanctification, that along with our own dedication and passion for God, which I hope is there, there is something in me that never changes that's contrary to God. So the components components of the flesh are feeling, a will, and a mind. The character of the flesh is that it's no good, it's hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law. Now because of this, we see the activity The flesh, what is the activity of the flesh? Well, prior to salvation, it's summed up this way in Romans 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We were slaves to sin, it's the activity of the flesh, slaves to sin. But notice this. In verse 22 of chapter 6 in the book of Romans, we find that after salvation, we are no longer slaves to sin. It says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's an eternal life. All right. Before we were saved, we were slaves. We were totally depraved. All right. People then place their faith in Jesus Christ and they've been liberated from sin's. Uh, dominion. It's been dethroned. It used to rain. I was its slave, but now it's dethroned. All right. So this is awesome because how does it manifest itself, right? So when you go to church on Sunday and you listen to a song that you like, maybe you hear a really good rendition of Amazing Grace, for example, your heart swells, right? You have this affection for eternal things. And how do you account for that? Right? How does that happen? It's because the flesh that is opposed to this is no longer in the dominant position. You've been set free from that. Now you can worship God. Now you can respond to the Holy Spirit. So real quickly, uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 21, Paul says this, so I find a law, there to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Now think about that law, right? The law of gravity is unchangeable. It's fixed. Laws are stiff. They're gnarly things. They're difficult to do anything about. Right? So Paul says, I would do good. Evil's right there present with me. And so so we know that that when I want to do right, there is something also there with me that doesn't want to do right. All right? So flesh is not neutral. All right. So we're almost done here, but I want to give it a few moments. At the moment, think about this. At the moment, you're ready to witness to someone. Evil's present with you, right? You you want to go up and you want to witness to somebody and you think, well, that person's too sophisticated. Maybe they're smarter than me. Ah, I don't want to bother them. Right? Evil's present there with you. Whether you've been saved five years or fifty years, it doesn't matter. Your flesh is right there nudging you to act contrary to the will of God. This is why it's difficult to pray. This is why it's difficult to submit to preaching. This is why we're more inclined to surf the internet than to read our Bibles. And this is so liberating. You end up identifying yourself in terms of your flesh when you don't have to do that, right? Perpetual state of feeling utterly defeated. Forget about it. We just have to understand the flesh. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, Peter calls it a campaign against you, the spirit. Your flesh is on a campaign. So so we're not dealing with children who are just kind of passively receiving information. No, there's something inside of them that responds to evil. So how do we deal with this, right, as a spiritual person? Well, I'm going to give you an illustration here, all right, that of you've all watched nature shows. Nature shows are great, but you've seen the ones with the two little bears out there in 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 the weeds, and they're frolicking around, they're jumping on each other, and they're having fun. It's a great little scene of peace and joy and the sun shining but then the pan the camera pans up and you see this mother bear standing there who's vigilant watching what's she watching for she's got her huge claws and her huge teeth al- uh, out there she's alert with her head up why because she's been around the block she expects danger she knows what to look for and she knows how to avoid it now an immature christian like an immature cub can live like those two little cubs and, and frolic around and think, eh, you know, what, this is all great. But then we as parents come along and we say, no, 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 no. We know, we know there's danger ahead and we do well. We do well to come around our children. Now, because you know, the danger of the flesh, you have seen others maybe ruin their lives. Maybe you become hurt by it, but you become more alert, more wise, more sober over the years. And you go to venues of the world, you may enjoy certain lawful things, but there is so much more that wears you down. All right, I'm going I'm to end with this little Old Testament illustration. There was one man in the Bible, not, not just one man, but there is one story of a man in the Bible who did not restrain evil in his kids, and it cost Israel dearly. Mm. And I will say this. Um, If you go to 1 Samuel, just read on your own, but 1 Samuel talks about Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas. These two boys were evil. They were profaning the the worship of God. They were stealing um, sacrifices. They were sleeping with women at at the tabernacle, at the worship site. And they were deplorable. And Eli didn't do anything about it, and God rebukes them and says very clearly, and in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, I'm bringing this upon you because you did not restrain your sons from evil. Did not restrain your sons from evil. Hmm. All right, so we as parents have the responsibility to restrain our kids from evil. Now you say this I can trust my child, I know he will never do that. All right, so we put them in the way of temptation unwittingly, and because of this sinful bent. We must be proactive and think, am I, as a parent, providing opportunities for my children to be tempted? Secondly, I don't want to force my beliefs on them. I want my children to find their own way. Well, their own way is already set in place. Uh, Proverbs says a child left to himself will bring his mother shame. You see, we do well to teach our children objective truth that lies outside of them. So, no child has entered or enters into this world knowing two plus two equals four. We have to teach that truth that 's outside of them to them, so we do well to teach objective truth that lies outside of our children to them, such as Jesus is God. The third statement I hear is i don 't want to be overbearing to my children and set too many rules and regulations that 'll just push them further away you 're right their bent is already to go there own way leaving them without restraint when leaving them without restraint just gets them there faster of course Hmm. realize this rules and regulations do not a christian make we know that but we use regulations to protect them from harm much like guardrails on a highway so we have all of this biblical data which is just spewed out there, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and a wealth more, you know, of biblical data that suggests that our children are not passive and just kind of, you know, bent toward good. Their hearts are deceitful. They're sick. They need to be saved, but even in their best state, um, they're tempted, and they're going to follow uh, sin, and so we have to do well as parents to to watch over and protect them. So I want to set that stage for Sarah because Sarah's gonna yeah. come in and just blow the whole thing up
3: all right. <laughs> with all these rules
2: and
0: regulations. Really, so. so I I really appreciate this three the responses to those three questions that you mentioned to open and to close. Um, because the answer, the way you answer them, depends on a biblical anthropology. And that's really similar to issues we had in the previous Grace Matters panel about mental health is what does it mean to be a human? And that means to be made in God's image, but then to, as you unpack, you know, from both the Old and New Testaments, it means to also struggle with a heart that is deceitful uh, before it's made alive in Christ. And even then we still have, this body of death that we're not delivered from quite yet. You know, like, so yeah. that's so important to have a full, a full biblical anthropology to then parent well. Yeah. Um, because the way that the, the secular anthropology would answer those three questions very differently, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, you know, I don't want to give my kid too many rules or regulations. You know, a secular anthropology is going to respond to that in one way. And a biblical anthropology response, as you mentioned, from Proverbs. Um, and so that's, that was really great to, to give us that undergirding. And I also appreciate that you used the Mama Bear illustration to transition into Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> <we go>. so <laughs> now that we uh, hand off to Sarah, you know, what are ways that you have seen um, parents with, struggling with these same things, um, struggling to unpack what it means to be a parent um, with regard to technology in the home? How does the rubber meet the road um, from your perspective?
3: Well, I think, I mean, there's so many things. I, I literally took a page of notes between the two of you. So honestly, I think one of the things that you guys mentioned that's really the most critical is when you come at this from a biblical worldview and you really think about what's best for your family from that viewpoint, because You know, if you don't stay strong in that, then you can turn left, you can turn right, you can look at the next shiny thing, you'll make excuses, you'll say, well, if they don't, if they don't, if they're not on their iPads, when they graduate, they won't know how to do technology, which technology changes so quickly that, you know, there's so many absurd things about that. But (laughs) I think the thing for me, this is a really big deal for me, technology and staying ahead of technology with my kids, because... Jason, I do enjoy technology. We don't come at it from, you know, a perspective of you shouldn't use technology. We don't like technology. It's almost like we're the opposite. Like we really enjoy technology, so we want to make sure we're on top of it. We want to make sure that we understand technology, so that our kids are not smarter than we are. So, I think one of the things you had a lot of really good um, things like. You know, what is this doing to us? What is this doing for us? I think all of that is important. And I, you know, I hesitate to give in any time I talk to parents, you know, as I've matured. Now, if you asked me when I had one kid, I always said that the Lord knew what he was doing. That's why he gave me five kids. Because when I just had Kinsey, I thought I knew what I was doing. I was an amazing parent. I knew nothing. Okay. <laughs> I just had a freakishly compliant child. is the first child, bait child okay and some of us need a lot of children to learn that we don't know anything and some of you get along with just a couple kids and you figure out that you don't know anything i'm a slow learner i got five kids so having said all that i really feel like it is absolutely positively the job of the parent to manage the technology 100 percent. i feel like it it really does stink honestly I have a lot of discussions with my children about technology, but the reality is when you're saying yes to technology, you're saying no to something else. Yep. So just things that I notice in my own house and observations. When I allow my children to have endless amounts of technology, it does make my life easier. There's less fighting. Okay. Children are occupied. But the reality is, is that what are we doing? Like, are we working on our sin nature during that time? No, we're just feeding ourselves. We're just sitting in the corner, just gobbling up ourselves. And so, yes, is it more difficult? I homeschool. So my kids are with me all the time. Now, I know a lot of you don't homeschool, so you know now what it's like to be with your kids all the time, or maybe in the summer you're used (laughs) to that. But my kids are with me all the time. So having said that, yeah it would be easier to let my kids zone out on that kind of stuff, but the reality is is we've got to figure out how to get along we've got to figure out what is it that's causing the fights what is causing the issues and we've got to balance that in our lives we've got to figure out is this a time when it's okay to use the technology and not kid ourselves that they're doing something amazing I mean literally I call it an electronic babysitter I'm just going to call it what it is but Is this an okay time for this or is this too much? And I'll tell you a lot of people I can see that are participants already have teenagers and you have a small window of time with your kids where you can instruct and then you just turn to influence. And some of us are already there. Okay. Where the instructing is over. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. Your time is over. You now you're on influence. And so the reality is, is that you need to instruct while you have that window of instruction, because by the time they get to influence, you can, you can ground, you can take their, their things away. You can do that kind of stuff, but you'll see that dead look in their eye where they're, they're just going to do it, but you've lost them. And so I think it's really important to kind of teach your kids, not in a, a way that's, um, abusive or feels like a power struggle, but this is how we handle technology because of these reasons. You know, when we talk about the fact, I'm okay with you being so bored that you actually eventually read. That's my goal. My goal is you're so bored that you do something else. I'm okay with you being bored. I hope you're wretchedly bored. I hope you're so bored you go outside and do yard work. I don't care. Like, I think that's the thing is that a lot of people don't like to make their kids uncomfortable. And so with technology, I just feel like, you know, I, I have a lot of ways that I think we should lock down technology. Okay. I think that personally, and it might tick a lot of people off, but I don't really care (laughs) if you hand a kid an electron and it's not locked down and you give them an open browser and you say, well, they've got to learn how to, you know, control their urges on their own bef- while they live in your house, I think that is like putting your kid in front of an X-rated movie. Like, I think there is zero difference, honestly. I feel like if you're going to give your kid a smart any phone, because a smartphone, an iPhone, smartphone is easier to lock down than the flip phone. So if you give your kid a flip phone, they can go on someone's Wi-Fi and they can still look at a tiny square of something. And let me tell you, <laughs> There's a lot of boys that wanna look at a tiny square of something, okay? So that is not helpful. You've gotta stay ahead of it. You've got to understand that your kids just wanna gobble it up. And so I feel like there's a lot of things online that will help you figure that out. I will help you figure that out if you don't know how to do it. But it's our job as their parent to help them figure out boundaries. I'll tell my kids all the time, I'll give you an opportunity to rein yourself in I'm gonna give you an opportunity to show me that you can regulate yourself, and if you can't regulate yourself, then I'm gonna, le- I'm gonna help you regulate, because that's my job. You would never let your kids sit in front of a big old thing of candy and just shove it in their face nonstop, but you'll just let your kids sit in front of an electronic device endlessly, because it's easier, and it is easier. It is easier on the front end, but it's not easier in the long end. You know, the long way, far away down the road. You want your kids to be able to get along with each other or figure out why they don't. You're going to want your kids to figure out. You want your kids to struggle in your home. You don't want your kids to struggle outside of the home and figure out that they are sinful beings who need correction. You want that to happen in your house. You don't want it to be the story of the Christian that fell away because they went out in the real world and figured out that things aren't perfect and they aren't perfect. So I don't know, like I feel like for me personally, um, my kids were actually kind of fussing at me about coming on here because I have a way of influencing a lot of parents to be more strict with their kids with, de- with devices. And that usually the parents come away with a lot more knowledge and the kids come away a lot more ticked off at me. But there are ways to control everything that your kids do And I think that that is what needs to happen up until the point when your kids decide that they want to do it on their own. But we don't let their kids choose their own bedtimes. We don't let our kids hopefully choose their own dinner. We don't let our kids choose how they're educated. We don't let our kids choose a lot of things. We should not let our kids choose how much electronic time they get and what their viewpoint of electronic time is. Because I tell my parents all the time, I would rather... Scroll through Wayfair and Amazon than read a book. Okay. But I know that's not good for me, but it's easy to go through Wayfair and look at all the new fun things and go through Amazon and target and all of that. It's easier to do that. So what do I have to do? I have to leave all that stuff away and then I have to choose to read a book. I have to choose to do a quiet time. It's not any easier for parents. We can't be sitting there on our phones going, you need to get off your device. Like, what are we doing? We've got a model. Um, there's a couple people that I read that are a little bit crazy. So I, I, I don't, but anyway, the pearls, they read, they wrote a book called, um, jumping ship, but it talks about Christianity and it talks about, um, they're kind of crazy. So just keep, take that with a grain of salt, but, um, but they have a lot of great points and their point, One of their points is, is that you have to show your kids Christianity is fun. Like right now, Jason's in there playing a game with our kids. You can't tell your kids to get off of technology and give them nothing to do. Okay. You have to engage with your children. You can't watch TV and tell your kids to get off of technology. Like you have to be a part of their upbringing. So if you're yelling at your kids to choose something else and they're struggling, help them be a part of their life. You can't just say, don't play that game while I'm on my phone. So I don't know, like I have 50 soapboxes about technology. So this was just, well, there, there are two things,
0: there are two things that we had talked about when we had our conversation a couple months ago, um, right. That kind of defining what it means to trust your kids. And I think that'd be really interesting in light of how Jeff just set the foundation yeah. theologically and then unpacking what accountability might mean between parent and child. So right. how would you define what it means to trust your, you know, younger kids? So go through the spectrum, like you've okay. got 10 to 20. So what does it mean to trust your 10 year olds? And what does it mean to trust your 20 year old? And then what is accountability look like for the spectrum as well?
3: Well, I would say what I try to tell my kids and one of the things that I use is like covenant eyes. I use that as mm-hmm. a browser. Well, my Covenant Eyes report actually goes to my friend in Michigan. Like, I model from my kids that accountability never ends. Okay, accountability is not a parent-child thing. It is a Christian-Christian thing. So we always should have accountability in everything that we do. We should have someone. Now, I know that is, um, there are Christians that do not believe in that at all. I'm not that Christian. I do believe in accountability. I believe that you have to have someone to keep you accountable and so i tell my kids until you have that person in your life i'm that person god has created me to be your parent and you know your dad to be your parent we are in that place of accountability as far as trust my kids i mean honestly if there was a, a, a spectrum i'm more on the my kids did it spectrum then my kids didn't do it spectrum i'm more like oh yeah you did it but i will tell you that the lord is very faithful and he does give me inklings when things are not right um he does Hmm. the holy spirit is very there and i will even if i have things locked down even if i have things you put your phone here and we have this and we have that It doesn't matter. Satan is crafty. He'll help your kids figure out all the ways around that. But trust to me, I tell my kids all the time, I mean, it's so much of what Jeff said. Satan is alive. Your flesh is against you. I am not doing this because I think that you're a sack of crap. I'm doing this because I'm trying to help you understand that the fight is not against you. Okay? The fight is... It is spiritual, you know, Satan wants to, you know, steer you wrong and that is the fight. And it's not mom against child as much as it is mom and child against Satan. And so Mm. we have to set ourselves up for success, but we have an ongoing daily conversation about electronics and, and time limits and boundaries and all of that every day. Is it exhausting? It is sometimes do <laughs> I wish I was the parent that just sat in the corner and let my kids just gobble it up. Yeah. But the reality is, as my kids have come back to me. Um, Carrie will probably never admit this to any of you, but she came back to me because she didn't get social media until she was 16. She got Instagram and she came back to me and she said, thanks for not letting me get Instagram when I was in middle school and I didn't know who I was because everyone else's perception of me would have been that person that I am no longer. And I think with a lot of technology, it's like that. And these Hmm. kids put off a persona that is not them. Um, It is one of the reasons why, you know, why we personally choose to homeschool is because I think middle school years are wretched and kids don't know who they are. And I think, as you said, David, family, being the source of really the, the grounding of who we are and the, in the yep. first like thing is that, you know, social media and electronics and all of that, you have to put all of that through that conduit. And I don't ever want my kids to view themselves through that lens. Their mm-hmm. lens needs to be through God's eyes and our family and how we have, um, you know, formed that. And so, um, I think that we all need to keep that in consideration. What, what is the influence that your kids are getting even when you don't really recognize it? So, I mean, social media is like we said, there's going to be like 50 tangents to this conversation and social media right. is a huge chunk of that. But I yeah. think first and foremost, husband and wife need to come together and figure out what is our vision for our family with electronics, period. Yep. What is our vision? What do we want for our family? What does that look like? And then from the husband and wife that trickles downward because you can't do it. If you try to do it separately, all my word, they'll attack you like a daggone general. Okay. Husband and wife come together, figure out what that looks like and then hold to that vision of locking it down. How many hours? What apps do you get? Do you have to ask permission? Do you have to, because I will tell you all the different ways to lock that down. And David's going to send out a document with some things that I personally use, but there's tons of other ways on the Internet. But um, anyway, did I answer your questions, David? I'm sorry. This is a big deal for me.
0: No, that's fine. Uh, And so we'll move now into our time of question and answer. And we have a few that have come in already and Neil will help uh, ask those. If you have any questions, folks who are watching, please type those in so that Neil can get those and throw them out to us. Anything that we don't get to in the next 10, 15 minutes, we will um, answer over podcast. So I'll probably follow up with Jeff and pick his brain some more on the theology. I'll bug Sarah to give me some more stories about her kids so we can embarrass them with. Um, There's some other folks outside of our church that I've uh, been in touch with to have some follow-up conversations about uh, particular kinds of social media and app usage and what to do with our kids. So I'll be following up with several podcasts over the next couple months uh, to fill in the time before the next Grace Matters panel. Um, But right now, uh, Neil's already got a couple. So, Neil, what questions have we we received so far?
1: Yeah, these questions are um, mostly of a practical nature. um, So I'll open it for all of you. Um, The first one, since Jeff, you kind of see a lot of the youth each and every week as you minister to them. And and, um, Sarah, you have a list of very practical resources. One of the movements uh, of the last year or two that has has really caught on, especially with young boys, is something like Fortnite, online gaming in general, but Fortnite uh, specifically. Um, Can you talk towards that um, in particular or gaming in general?
0: Well, so I'm a huge nerd and have been gaming since 88 when I got a Nintendo Entertainment System. And so my time... Over the years, like I've continued to game. I have an Xbox and squeeze in time when I can. Um, and so I've been able to experience some of the downsides of uh, spending inordinate time uh, gaming. And I've also experienced a lot of the joys of encountering a great story or hanging out with friends in that virtual way. Because right now, during this quarantine time, we can't go hang out in person. And so hopping on Fortnite at the same time at first blush seems like a really easy way to connect with people since we have to be, you know, socially distant from them. Um, but there is a lot of research that's been done and is continuing to be done about uh, the ways that games are designed, especially free to play games like Fortnite and Apex Legends and Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, all these uh, giant, basically they're the Hunger Games in video game form. So if you've never read or seen the Hunger Games movies, You you drop a hundred people into this one arena and you have to go find something and then kill everybody else. Last one standing wins. Uh, And you can do it in a squad with other people as well, but basically it's just a giant arena like that. And so there's no storyline, which is why I hate it. There's no narrative, um, but that it can be, very uh, addictive because there's all these uh, skins or characters or weapons or unlockable things and earnable things through the course of the game. So you don't have to pay for it. You can pay to get points to unlock things, uh, but otherwise you're just earning things by playing it. So by spending more and more of your time investing in getting certain kinds of kills or whatever the game is, you'll then unlock more. And game designers are very aware of how the human brain works. In fact, folks at Epic Games, which is located in Cary, North Carolina, have brought in psychologists to help do game design. And anybody who's doing any sort of design for mobile gaming, which Fortnite you can play on your phone as well, um, mobile game designers especially have studied people's brains to understand how to get them to play the game more so that they'll see the advertisements that pop up so that they'll be invested in such a way that uh, they would spend some money um, on some sort of unlockable content. So the thing to be mindful of with Fortnite, well the first thing would be mindful of who they're playing with and how that content is managed. So if you have a younger kid who is playing um, any of these live servers means live chat that could go any direction. Um, and you can't control for that. So you have to be careful of understanding what might happen in the context of a game over a chat line, people using any number of vulgar terms or profane language. Um, so being aware of that happening in the multiplayer space. Um, you also have to be aware of, uh, kind of the the time that's being invested. So as Sarah's mentioned, and it's in the document she's got a write-up, there are ways to set time limits on the Xbox where it will shut off (laughs) when you're at your time limit as opposed to um, letting your kids play for extended periods of time or letting them have access to it when you don't even know about it. Those addictive properties of the way these games are designed can really kick into high gear when there's no restrictions at all. Other thing to be aware of, as well with regard to any of these free-to-play massive multiplayer online games is that they, uh, they do cultivate a certain kind of comp- – they, they feed into that same like social media comparison culture and, uh, and self-esteem can be wrapped up in these things. Like if you're not a good player and you get on with your buddies and they then decide not to play with you anymore, they, there can be social ramifications for things that happened – one night that they happen to get on Fortnite. So there are a lot of potential ways that um, gaming can be, uh, can slip very easily into a dangerous space or a hurtful space, but it can also be during this time, potentially really helpful just to be able to connect with your buddies across town who you can't hang out with, but you can hop on the same Fortnite server with.
2: I'll jump in. I'll say a couple of things. Um, Uh, in this one is an anecdotal story. So it's, uh, I had a conversation with one of the developers of the game uh, Fortnite and uh, who's now Christian. And I asked him if he'd allow his son to play that game and his immediate reaction was absolutely not. And I by that he said, no, he said, we, we had a joke. We called it digital heroin. And he said, that was just what we thought of it. Like we were trying to make it as addictive as we could. And, you know, I always think of like, you know, when scripture says be harmless or uh, be, uh, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Um, the idea that we're always searching for, okay, it's, it may be acceptable. Like there's a lot of acceptable things. Um, but are we approving things that are excellent? Like are those things going to help us run the race? Mm-hmm. So I guess the question would be, you know, for, for a parent would be, is this going to help my son or my daughter um, draw near to Christ? You know, and that may not be an easy question to answer, but it's a good question to ask. You know, what I mean, yep. like that's a better yep. question than you know other questions we could ask. I mean, is is this going to make them more holy, or at least is this going to bend them toward a righteous behavior? And and I, I'm not here to say yes or no on that. I'm just saying, you know, because my kids don't ask to play Fortnite, so it's easy for me. Um, yeah, I don't have to think about it. If they did, I would have to wrestle through it. But um, and I don't even know what my answer would be. To be honest with you, I don't know anything about Fortnite other than what I've heard from my friend and, and what David just said. So um, I, I think the idea of going around and shooting people is a little suspicious. But, you know, <laughs> <other> than, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, those are just a couple things I thought, a couple quick thoughts. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, I'll tell you as a parent whose son plays Fortnite. Um, so... He does, he plays Fortnite, he gets on with his buddies. It's very, our experience is very much like what David's saying. You know, you have to make sure you're locked down certain chat features. You know, we, we limit the time. Um, to me, it's it's similar to watching a movie. I mean, from the brain perspective of it, I, I, it's probably true. And I don't disagree that if it probably shouldn't happen. But it does. And Jason grew up playing all that kind of stuff, too. There's a bunch of teenagers at my back on door. Y'all need to move away. But, um, oh, my gosh. So anyway. <laughs> they are just say
0: Fortnite. Um, Fortnite. Fortnite? What?
3: But, but, yeah, they're like, I heard Fortnite. But in our, in our house, all the, they do play a lot of these things together. So, weirdly, yeah. my kids get along and they play, you know, those games together. They play Minecraft together. They play things that, you know, any. I mean, there's, you know, when you're married, you just, there's a balance, but I yep. think even with anything, I, I definitely put limits. on Playing It's just about the win or whatever, you know, it was like, in that Xbox turned off, it was like a big deal. It was a big <laughs> deal if the Xbox turned off and he was about to win, but now I don't care. I'm like, you're just going to play it on Saturday again. Get over it. So I think that, I don't think that there's ever, I think your whole behavior needs to not be about one game. I guess that's the whole thing is your relationship and your view of technology, it doesn't need to be just that Fortnite's evil, this is good. You know, it has to be about the whole conversation.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, here's a, um, a resource question. And for the sake of time, I'll just ask for you to be brief. Um, kind of smashing two questions together here. Are there any practical tools? And Sarah, you mentioned uh, one or two earlier. Are there practical tools that you would recommend for controlling or monitoring online content? Online could be on the computer or a smartphone. And this is uh, directly related to questionable apps like Snapchat.
3: Uh, It don't have Snapchat. Let me just tell you, there's no way to monitor Snapchat. Okay. Snapchat and Instagram, you can send um, videos that you you will never see again. Okay. If your children are young enough that you're worried about what they're doing on Snapchat or Instagram, they should not have it. If, um, you know, you can see very provocative pictures of women on both of those apps. Okay, very provocative things. YouTube, that's another thing that your kids should not have on their phone. I I tell Jackson, if you want to watch YouTube, you can watch it on the TV. That way we can all watch it together. Okay, you should not be watching YouTube on your phone, um, Snapchat, and. An Instagram that needs to be something that you've had conversations, you've gotten in relationship with your kids, you've talked about it, you have their sign in, you're going in and seeing what are they liking, what are they viewing. Um, If I see them sending videos to people, I don't know, like your kids can't have these kind of apps without you also having that app going in, signing into their thing and watching their activity while they're in your house, until you kind of see like, are they handling this responsibly or not? Um, And as far as tracking their, um, you'll get a document, but um, Covenant Eyes is what I use for all of our laptops, and it's the browser. And I also have a document to show you how to get rid of the browser on the iPhone and put on a browser that you like. But you should, your kids should have zero apps if you are even thinking, should they have apps? Should they have that app? No.
2: Can I ask you a question? Um, So on Snapchat, um, can you, so you're saying you can log in from your phone and just look at what they're looking at, liking?
3: Not on Snapchat.
2: No, Snapchat is like, it erases, right? That's the.
3: Snapchat is honestly, it's just like articles. The one thing that you will see if you sign into their Snapchat is you'll see kind of what articles they'll look at because they'll flood the bottom of their feed. Most, I would say the majority of kids probably don't look at most of that just because it's obnoxious, but I'm saying older kids, not younger kids, but, um, it's just, yeah, it's just camera disappears. Instagram, you can go in and see what do they like? What are they looking at? Their feed will, will show what their friends are looking at. It more represents what they're doing. So I would say that I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying parents need to make their own choices, but Snapchat, you cannot monitor it in any way. There's nothing that will monitor it. Do not get it if you think that they should be monitored. Don't get it.
1: One of our parents of youth uh, suggested that uh, they have had good results with custodio, and that's spelled Q-U-S-T-O-D-I-O, and that's uh, for both computer and phones, so that's one more to add to the resource list. Uh, final question, and then we'll,
2: we'll end things. Today. Know, let, me, let, me, let me just throw in something for, about Covenant Eyes, because Covenant Eyes is really cool because it, um, and I don't know, Sarah, maybe you can explain it better than I can, but I think what it, it does, is it sends a list. Uh, so it's an accountability thing, which is different than Net Nanny. Net Nanny allows me to see what my kids are viewing, but actually Covenant Eyes sends reports. And um, tailor-made, I think you can tailor-make them. And, yep. um, and at a quick glance, see, you know, is this person struggling? Are they not? Have they, it's a, Maybe you can just jump in real quick because I think parents would want to hear that. It too.
3: comes, in Eyes, I like it because it, it does it at different levels. It does it where it blocks anything that it has it where you can only do approved websites. So let's say you had a kid that needed to get on one website or a couple websites for school, right? You can make it. So that's all they could do. Then you can go to the next level where you're limiting adult websites and you're block. It's doing its best to block anything inappropriate. And then it's got the third level where it's like, if the student needs to get on that website, they can add it, but it still sends you a report. So no matter what, like I've had my friend, like just for instance, I looked up nude shoes. Okay. For a dress. My friend was like joking because she's getting reports in Michigan because I'm looking up new shoes. Okay, so like she's joking with me and sending me the report back, but like that's the kind of stuff it'll flag and just be like, hey, just letting you know, Ken, or, uh, you know, Sarah's looking up new shoes. But like it it does varying levels of reports with it, which I think is responsible. It won't let them uninstall it. Um, it also is a browser. It is clunky, like my kids don't like it because like there's a lot of apps where if you try to open something, it wants Safari to open. So then they have to hold it down and copy and paste it. And I'm like, first world problem, okay? You have have to hold your link down and copy (laughs)
1: and
3: paste it. Tears, I don't care. Go on your laptop, I don't care. So that's how I, I I love covenant eyes.
1: One weakness pointed out by another of our uh, parents is that Um, it will not catch images from a Google search, search results. If you click on the image, it will, but the actual search results, it may not actually flag those or stop them. Interesting. Okay, final question, and um, this is kind of philosophical, so David, you may want to weigh in here. Could there be a modern tech that everyone uses, quote, unquote, everyone has this, that loses so much that we really shouldn't use it at all? Mm.
0: I mean my gut reaction is yes uh, in the thought experiment I'm trying to think though if there is a if the asker had a particular piece of technology in mind or if there's one that comes to mind because um, you could make a case that Um, I was just reading a little bit in the TechWise family, and I've been reading Andrew Peterson's uh, Wingfeather saga as he's been doing some read-alouds over Facebook for families. And in the TechWise family, Andy Crouch makes a case for uh, how the center of the home used to be the hearth, where warmth was acquired, where that's where you met to eat together, to stay warm, to to fellowship the central place of the home is cultivated in that way. And now, uh, we have air conditioners and heat pumps. So there's no work involved in tending the hearth Uh, we don't have to do anything to stay warm or stay cool other than tap a button on a screen, uh, or control it on our phones. But, uh, so when we, when we lost the hearth as a center point of, of a home, um, So much was lost (laughs) that that maybe it's worth it to dump the AC units and just convert my fireplace back to an actual fireplace, a wood burning stove. Like, um, so my mind goes to that kind of thing because I saw that illustration in the Andrew Peterson books. These homes that he's describing in this you know fantasy world where the family gathers around the hearth and they share a meal together and like. I find myself longing for that as I'm reading this work of fiction, because it stirs something in me that I think is part of how God has created us. And so you could probably make the case for lots of pieces of technology that so much has been lost when we honestly evaluate it, that it doesn't outweigh what's been gained. Um, I do think it's a fair, like, that's a fair question to ask, you know, of, of the way we've, you know, kind of wholesale adopted smartphones into our way of life after the first iPhone was admitted. Um, it's a probably a fair question to ask about, man, maybe even certain elements of the internet. Uh, but yeah, like we have to be constantly as parents, especially, and and then as as believers as individuals seeking godliness we have to be asking those questions of what is this what is gained by my usage of this and what what is lost so if i'm only using digital bibles on my phone and not using a printed text ever what is what is really lost by my digital consumption of the of the text to the exclusion of printed text you you could apply that question a bunch of ways yeah
3: Well, I was just going to say when I think about it, one of the areas that, you know, I mean, I know, I know people because, you know, I'm a homeschooler. So I know all lots of different people who don't do technology, who keep their kids completely away from it. And, you know, there's always going to be something. There's always going to be something that you put in between you and God if you try. You know what I mean? So, like, if it's not that, it'll be something else. So our constant thing has to be seeking god first above all else whatever those things are because Mm. you know you can get a kind of a self-righteous attitude like well we don't watch tv we don't we don't have smartphones and you know and then all of a sudden you've put cleaning in front of your kids like it could be anything um you know so but i think the main thing that i think is is people are getting back to is but for a while struggled was when I would see young people get together and not be able to carry on a conversation. Yeah, Like not honestly be able to manage the back and forth. And so I think parents have done better. I mean, at least the bubble my kids are in. I think parents have done well teaching their kids about boundaries, putting the phones in the middle of the table, having conversations with their own kids, teaching their kids how to get along with other people. But I think yeah. that- I think that pendulum is starting to kind of swing the other way because people are aware of it now, but I think you're right, David. I think you could make that case about television. I think you could make that case about anything, but I think you got to go with whatever the Lord's leading your own family.
1: Right. David, apparently you have great communication skills because even considering the question, you've already convinced some of our parents to consider getting rid of their HVAC unit.
0: Think about how much money you'd save not having to maintain
1: that thing every year. (laughs) All right. um, Sarah, Jeff, David, thank you so much for um, considering the questions before us about technology, your input theologically, practically philosophically of how to uh, be a biblically balanced approach to a family with technology. So as we uh, sign off, uh, I want to start doing, something we started in January in our our earlier Grace Matters, that is a book giveaway. And it's only for people who join us during this live session. So uh, a couple of resources you've heard in tonight's discussion is The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch, and uh, 12 Things That Your Phone Is Doing To You by uh, Tony Reinke. And so this uh, first TechWise Family we're gonna give away one copy. And of course, since we're conducting this over technology, over Zoom, Uh, we will send you the the Kindle version or a um, code for that. So you need to meet, (laughs) I'm already getting responses. You need to meet the (laughs) requirements in order to successfully uh, win this prize. Um, And this is the book David's holding up for you. So you need to be not only the first to chat to me that you want to read this, but number one, you need to commit to actually reading it. Mm. You have to commit to reading it, and I want it to go to someone who has a youth or child watching with them tonight. If that's you, mm-hmm. chat to me now. All right, we've we've got one. All right, winner for that's the compliance awesome. family. I'll I'll contact you afterwards, so you don't have to to uh, worry too Do long.
2: Who won it, Neil? Who won? that one. <laughs> I don't know one. Keisha. Ah, yes. <laughs> I can hold her accountable then to reading it.
1: <laughs> and the second book, uh, by Tony Reinke, um 12 things that your phone David keeps saying iPhone. I think that's uh, a little bit of a, a bias towards Mac, but I think the Maybe? I think the, maybe? I don't know. I think the,
3: I think the, the title is. I thought it was t- 12 things your iPhone was doing to you.
1: Oh, so you're you're inserting the I there. And that shows a little bit about the. I
3: thought it was that. I own that book. It's not just I, it's, it's phone, not iPhone.
1: Just phone. Could be any phone. Otherwise, Android uh, users would be scot-free.
3: Well, Android, yep. cares, that's probably why they didn't worry about it. In an
1: Android.
3: No. All
1: right. Same things apply. First, you need to be the first one to chat to me that you meet these requirements. First, that you commit to reading it. But also, you have a youth in your home who does not yet have a smartphone, but together you are planning to get one this year. Hmm. If you and your youth, or if you are the youth, if you and your parent uh, are planning on getting the first smartphone for you this year, chat to me now, please. All right. Well, I see another parent's name. Does that count? (laughs) All right. I see Aaron Strauss uh, posted for that. And that's the winner for 12 things. Cool. Uh, thank you again for speaking to us, for everyone participating, sending in questions, listening. Uh, David, if anyone missed any portion of tonight's discussion, if they want to go back and listen or read about some of the, the resources that you have listed, where can we go to learn more about that?
0: So if you go to our website and then click on, uh, the sermons section, there'll be a podcasts drop down for the Grace Matters podcast. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you stream those. But through the Grace website is the primary way to find the Grace Matters page, which includes the podcast, and we'll attach this PDF of all the resources that Sarah has shared and the ones that we've been talking about so far. We'll list all those out in a PDF document that'll be attached there on the Grace website. We'll share that via Faith Life and Facebook as well once that podcast is ready. And then any follow-up questions that you have, shoot them to Neil real quick before we close out or um, email those to gracematters at graceccnc.org. And then we can follow up with those in the next few podcast episodes that we shoot.
1: Thank you. You're already getting in the chat room uh, praise for uh, just a great conversation that you guys held tonight. Uh, We'll leave this open for just a few minutes as people um, start ending their sessions. If you have another question you want to send over, that's fine. And uh, otherwise let us close in prayer. Father, thank you for this discussion, for uh, being the, the foundation upon which we can have these discussions that are beneficial for us because they're beneficial because they first honor you. So I pray that all that we discussed and learned tonight and continue to Um, consider over these next days and weeks and and months about technology, that we would um, come to the question with a biblical mindset, with a a heart that wants to honor you. Help us to make wise decisions for us and our families and for the Grace family as a whole. Uh, Lord, we lift these things up to you and ask that you bless us as we go here from here tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: If you have any further questions for any of our panelists, please take a moment to write an email to at graceccnc.org. I plan on having a follow-up conversation with Sarah to get more embarrassing stories and a follow-up conversation with Jeff to talk more about the theology behind what we're doing. I also look forward to meeting with a couple other folks outside of our church who can give us further perspective on game design and what's happening behind the scenes, and with someone who can give us a better picture of some of the hidden dangers of the various apps that are available on smartphones and other devices. We hope you enjoyed this, and as we look forward to our next in-person panel, in between now and then, look for these supplemental conversations to be released on the podcast, and we hope to hear from you soon. Again, you've been listening to Grace Matters. Conversations Establishing Believers in the Truth.